Welcome to Road to Desert Rain, a series from Desert Rain Community Radio. Today, Jonathan Clausen and I sit down and discuss his uh, travels in and around the world, starting in Canada and landing here in El Paso, as well as his spiritual evolution, uh, being raised in a Mennonite family and how that uh, shaped his spiritual life and what it looks like today. But before we get into that, thank you to David and Danny West. That's the music you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruined.com. If you want to hear other episodes of Road to Desert Rain or Dispatches from the Verge, drcrpod.com is the place to go. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio, uh, Road to Desert Rain, with Jonathan Clausen. Good morning. I'm Jonathan Clausen. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you for being here. I feel very welcome. Thanks. Uh, um, have you have you ever gone by John, or has it always been Jonathan? Oh, it's generally been Jonathan, but yeah, a few random people change it up. My cousin, my cousin's name is Jonathan, and he. It's funny because he's throughout his life has cycled back and forth. And he also goes by his last name sometimes. Yeah. There's a few guys who call me Joe Nathan for no, <laughs> no good reason. but Right. <laughs> I was like, what movie was that? B-Rad? The guy wouldn't, his name was Brad, but he would go by B-Rad. <laughs> exactly right. Um, cool, man. Well, uh, as many of you that have listened have heard our Road to Desert Rain series. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a break, um, but we're bringing it back now in 2022. And um, Jonathan has agreed to sit down and see where we go. And usually where we start off with everybody is sort of the um, religious or spiritual or lack thereof upbringing in their, in their household. Um, so what did, what, did that, uh, what did that look like for you and you're growing up. Yeah, I guess that could go that could go as in-depth as we wanted it to go, I guess. I my name is Jonathan Clausen, so that's a German last name. And I come from uh these German Mennonites oh, nice. that um well, they're all over the place, but right. I mean there's a large group of them in northern Mexico and Chihuahua. Oh really? Around the town of Cuauhtémoc. Okay. I don't think I knew that. Um, that's where my dad was born, actually. So he was born in Mexico, and then as a kid went up to Canada, where this yeah, those same groups of Mennonites up there, and that's where I met my mom, and that's yeah. Yeah, so, I, I I lived in Philly, and there's uh, pockets of Mennonites, sort of in the the larger Pennsylvania yep. area uh, surrounding Philly. Yeah, there's. I mean, a good Mennonite could talk all day about Mennonites, so I'll, try, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try, try not to do that, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that, but that is, yeah, very fundamental to who I am, I guess, or my upbringing. So did, did your parents meet in Mexico or Canada? In Canada, yeah, okay. so so the very short story is that there were a large group of Mennonites that were in Russia, and they ended up migrating to different parts of the world, and a group went to Canada, 
And um, towards the beginning of the 1900s, a group split off in from Canada and took a train down to Mexico. Okay. And there was cheap land and, right. you know, more freedoms, more isolation, which is what they were looking for. Okay. They were kind of, yeah, I mean, I'm not a Mennonite history buff like some people are, like a good Mennonite would be, but <laughs> <laughs> but there were all kinds of reasons for that, I think. I think the Canadian government was trying to get Mennonites to go to school and learn mm. English. And it was also kind of World War One time period, so there was like an anti-German sentiment. Oh, for and sure. So these yeah. Mennonites still spoke a, a Plotich, or Low German, a dialect of German, kind of similar to mm -hmm. Dutch. Um, because Mennonites came from, uh, the name comes from Menno Simons. He was a Anabaptist teacher. Okay. And so those who followed Menno Simons became the Mennonites and came from those lowland regions of Europe. So that's right. why they speak this low German, similar to Dutch. Very cool. And so were you born in Canada? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when my dad... My dad was born in Mexico in the Mennonite colonies, and then when he was a kid, his mom took him and his siblings, and they went up to Canada. Mm -hmm. And so he grew up in Canada, met my mom at a little Bible school in um, Manitoba, and, and then after they got married, they moved back and forth between Manitoba and Ontario a few times. I was born in Ontario. But I remember living for several years in Manitoba before we... Oh, I do remember a little bit of living in Ontario. Actually, there, was, <laughs> there were several moves back and forth. But anyways, before we came to the U.S., before we came to Texas, we were last living in Manitoba. Okay. And did you go... So you went from Manitoba to Texas? Yeah. Yep. And, and what was it like, um, sort of, I guess, just the, the condensed version, but what was it like growing up you know, what, what sets Mennonites apart, you know, Christianity-wise, mm -hmm. um, for those that aren't familiar? Yeah, so there's a wide range of Mennonite beliefs, I guess, or mm -hmm. uh, groups, and they differ widely in their practices. And so there are very liberal, we would consider liberal Mennonites, mm -hmm. um, and very conservative Mennonites, and even even in, for example, in the Mennonite colonies in, in Mexico there, there's, of course, the liberal Mennonites, quote-unquote, in Mexico would be kind of what we would consider kind of standard evangelical-ish okay. groups. Here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they would be comparable to some kind of random evangelical church where there's, you know, it might be in English or in Mexico and Spanish, and mm -hmm. they use musical instruments, and... They use technology and you know, whatever. They're also in Mexico more conservative groups where uh, they might dress differently, more specifically, the women might wear a certain type of dress and a head covering, and the men also might wear. Yeah, you know, it might not be a rule, a rule, but okay. they might wear like overalls or or something. Yeah, if you see sort of, here. So Sort of a standard uniform. Yeah, that, yeah. Not a written law that you have to wear X, right. Y, and Z. Yeah, okay. exactly. Although, I mean, in most groups, they would have something as far as a head covering. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say in most groups, but in some areas. The more conservative ones. Yeah, and then there are also, I mean, there are even more fringe groups that have split off from different places and moved further south. 
in Bolivia and so on, where they drive a horse and buggy still. Mm, okay. More similar to what you might consider Amish. Okay. Not using too much um, technology. Do do in is are Amish and Mennonites completely different as far as like their origin stories? I guess would be the the way to put it. Yeah. Well, they both stemmed from the original kind of Anabaptists. Okay kind of in the same time period as okay. the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. So the Anabaptists were set apart by a couple of things. One was, and they were Anabaptists, they were baptized again mm-hmm. as adults. That's one of their main things is baptism of adults okay. upon you know, confession of faith. And also they're generally pacifists. So at that time, there was I mean, obviously the Catholic state mm-hmm. thing happening but then there was also the Lutherans who had their own state okay and other you know Protestant groups so the Anabaptists were kind of persecuted by everybody <laughs> <laughs> hated by by all groups <laughs> yeah. so they were very anti power i guess mm-hmm. you could say mm-hmm. and so they kind of moved around for that reason they're they're because of being persecuted they yeah moved around to different places and and over the centuries have kind of maintained, segments of them have maintained kind of an isolationist ideology, I guess, mentality. Yeah, Yeah, I was interested, I mean, just going back to the Catholic and the Protestant thing, I I didn't realize Geneva was kind of looked at as the the Rome or the Vatican of the Protestant. Yeah, the Calvinists, I guess, if if I'm right, I might be wrong. Yeah, I was, was, uh, that was an interesting thing to learn from my, few days in switzerland um Mm -hmm. so i guess for for you personally what what you know what sort of were you part of a more conservative mennonite um church or more liberal or what what for your family specifically what did that look like so my my grandparents on my mom's side and on my dad's side they both came out of what what are called the old colony groups Mm -hmm. Those names are based on, I think, the original colonies in Russia. So there was one colony called the Old Colony, and this particular um, kind of um, church group came from that okay. region, I guess. So they were still more conservative, but then, like I said, both my 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 dad's father was excommunicated in Mexico from the wow. Old Colony Church officially for driving a vehicle with rubber tires, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, there were many other, apparently more better reasons to be excommunicated from I the see. church than that. But you know, they were still anti at the time, anti rubber tires. Interesting. That's why. At some point later on, that was changed that rule, and so everybody who had been excommunicated for that reason was like welcomed back, which was a big deal for the old colony. Still, excommunication from the church. Pretty much, literally, meant excommunicated from heaven. I guess you were definitely oh, going to hell. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so my parents grew up kind of in what we would consider kind of kind of more standard evangelical mm-hmm. Mennonitism. Yeah, they they very similar theologically to whoever the Baptists or okay. Which I mean, interestingly enough, the Baptists also came from the same Anabaptist groups at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um. And and so you're moving to Texas. Did that have anything to do in and around the church or Yeah, so there was a small conference 
of churches in Canada and in a couple of the different provinces um, that had started a church in Seminole, Texas. I guess it was in the 70s, I want to say. Okay. And this church at that time, when I was 11, was looking for a senior pastor, so they asked my dad to come down. He'd been a pastor on and off all of my growing up years, an assistant pastor, a youth pastor. So okay. he, he In Manitoba, where we were living last, he was an assistant pastor at a church. And so this church in Seminole, Texas, was looking for a, their senior full-time pastor, so they asked him to come down. And you said you were 11? I was 11, yeah. Okay. Which was <laughs> funny looking back. Like it, just, it was such a big, like Texas was so far away. It just seemed so strange. Like I remember, I specifically remember thinking like, huh, I wonder if in Texas, do they have like indoor bathrooms? And you know, <laughs> what's it going to be like? <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question was what was surely moving from Canada to Texas? There was some kind of culture shock. Yeah, so... I think my parents felt like they were, at least my dad felt like he was coming back home, kind of. Oh, this Mennonite group right. in Texas largely had moved to Texas from Mexico okay. over the years. Also, even though my parents were like part of this uh, more evangelical Mennonite, actually the name of the conference was the Evangelical Mennonite Mission Conference the EMMC that they were part of. Okay. That was their official name. But they had uh, joined an organization that had nothing to do with Mennonites. It was uh, called the uh, IBLP, Institute in Basic Life Principles, started by a man named Bill Gothard when I was really young. Part of it was a homeschooling program. Okay. So this was even quite more extreme. So they also would be considered very fundamentalist in evangelical circles. Okay. They were kind of like seen as extreme. <laughs> so, yeah, also in that organization, women wore skirts only, long hair if possible, and men also dressed, you know, kind of conservatively. And, you know. and um, this is just my own ignorance. How, how big is Manitoba? Because Seminole's pretty small, right? Yeah, so Seminole is a little town at the bottom of the Panhandle here in Texas. Uh, it's between five and ten thousand, I guess. Okay. I mean, Manitoba is the state; it's like the province. Oh. oh, oh so okay, okay. they were in uh, Altona, Manitoba, which is actually smaller. I think it was three or four thousand. Yeah. Okay, so so size-wise of the community. Yeah, they were both very small communities. Comparable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, just north of North Dakota, it's just flat plains. Um, farming communities, which pretty similar in the yeah. Panhandle too. Yeah, yeah, uh, same as in Seminole, Texas. Except yeah. Seminole has a bit of oil. I mean, a little further south is where the oil fields really start. But it's a lot of agriculture and a lot of oil in Seminole. Yeah. And so moving into like uh, your high school and like you know early adulthood, yep. what did, what did uh, did you stay in Seminole? You know, what, yeah. So, because like? it unfolded, it was always kind of weird. I mean, being a pastor's kid, being homeschooled, I was homeschooled, so okay. I never okay. went to school at all. I ended up getting my GED, but because we were in this kind of conservative Christian organization, 
it was it was conservative even in in the in the in the world that I like in the church even in the the seminal Mennonite community yeah, yeah yeah so I mean so for example I mean rock music of any kind was was wrong like so okay. so yeah what did you a, listen what kind of music did you listen <laughs> to growing up or if any yeah so we would listen to whatever I mean in the organization like any kind of kind of orchestral music okay, was okay. fine or. So it wasn't music. no music altogether. It wasn't no music, yeah. but like nothing with uh with drums or <laughs> you know, yeah, anything like that. So no electric guitars around here. <laughs> so that was yeah, exactly. So the, for me that was always the big battle. Like wanting to be really good. I always really wanted to be mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and good, but it's like <laughs> I have no friends except in the church, because I don't go to school. And I mean at the time, I mean the, everybody listened, of course, to the big Christian bands. Whoever that would have been at the time, I guess that would have been like Third Day and uh, Audio Adrenaline and all these bands. And it was like, oh, but this music, <laughs> this is right. this Christian rock music. <laughs> yeah. So I was always very, always very conflicted in that regard. Or movie watching. No movies. Like we were not supposed to be watching, I mean, really not supposed to be watching movies. Right. I remember the, there were two times in my teenage life where I really got in what I considered serious trouble with my parents. <laughs> and the first one was we had gone to Hobbs. Hobbs was the closest town, oh, really? like 20, 20 miles, 20 minutes away okay. across the New Mexico border. Right, right, right. That was of any size. And they had a little movie theater and a little bowling alley and a few restaurants. So it's like if you wanted to do anything close by, you went to Hobbs. <laughs> yeah. And I think we went and watched 101 Dalmatians. The live action 101 Dalmatians oh, back right, then. Right, right, right. <laughs> Man, and I got home. I I got a good talking to about then. And then the other time was we had our youth group had a bonfire. And uh, like I hadn't made it back at. I mean, it was way past my curfew. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't called or whatever. My parents were all worried and pissed. That was that kind of explains the uh, right. the, the depths of my depravity <laughs> as a teenager, <laughs> where we sat around a fire and listened to Christian Christian right. music. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was my social life growing up. Was the was the youth group of the church? Okay. Yeah. And then um, let's see. I was involved through that organization. They we had a program. Uh, different programs in different parts of the world, actually. So I went to Romania for three months at a time, I guess three, three years. And what, what age range? And I went when I was, um, what was I, 18, 19, 20, okay. something like that. So you're an adult. Yeah, at yeah, at that point. And what was Romania like? Uh, yeah, so we... We flew into Bucharest, we had a little training, and then we were, yeah, we were in a couple of different cities, I guess. Basically, we went officially to, to teach character, so we had a uh, program teaching 49 specific character qualities. Okay. And, I mean, obviously, they, they wanted us to teach in their schools because we were English-speaking, mm -hmm. like, natural English speakers. Right, of course. And so, yeah, we went for whatever half the day to different classes we had a kind of a regular route through different schools different classes like english intensive classes in those schools teaching this character program okay so we had a team of two or three people we'd have a little program and the romanians were 
wanted you there though yeah. specifically so they could either practice or learn English? Yeah, I mean it was yeah, I'm sure that's why they wanted yeah. us there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is really, I mean it was it was great. It was a great experience. Uh, and we also met with other SOE in the town that we were. There was a missionary family there. And we did, you know, work with them on and off. And they had a ministry for, like, um, street kids, which was a big thing in Romania at the time. Okay. I don't know if it still is. A lot of street kids. The orphanages, yeah. Anyways, that was, yeah, that was a great experience. And then... When I was 20 to 21, I guess. I must have been 20. Um, a buddy of mine had found this book. at a, I mean, that's what we did for fun. We would go to the Christian bookstore and look for books. <laughs> <laughs> and he found, this, <laughs> he found this book, and I forget which one it was, but it was by uh, James Richards, I want to say. And um, he had read it, like, wow, this is a great book. And then I read it, like, yeah, this is really good. So we just looked this guy up online and, like, wow, he has a Bible school <laughs> in Alabama. <laughs> it's like, we should just go. We had nothing else going on in life, really. So among, yeah, the Mennonites that I grew up with, there was no expectation, really, of, like, higher education at the time. Mm, okay. Or if it was, it was like some kind of yeah Bible school kind yeah. of a thing. And so yeah, we we packed up pretty quickly and like we'll go see what this is all about. <laughs> we drove down to Alabama, and still to this day, looking back, I'm kind of I don't under yeah what that what that whole situation was is is <laughs> confusing to me. But in the sense of. You leaving town, or what was going on? What, yeah, what, what was going on over there? So this, so, yeah, so this it ended up being this old hotel, and <laughs> it was called amazing. Impact International School of Ministry. Yeah, it's a James Richards, and and it was a really awesome experience. We were there for that the full year, and they really focused teaching on on the love of God and grace. Mm. So their big thing was grace. Okay. And yeah, he had one of his books was you know the Gospel of Peace. He had a lot of different books. Uh, there was one on grace, something or other. Was it very conservative? So so this was that was the weird thing. So yeah. it was actually ended up being charismatic. They were the pretty charismatic oh, okay, group. Okay, okay. And which you know we we had a weird clash in our church when I was a teenager as well. That we had two different youth pastors over those years, and they were both ended up you know having a lot of charismatic influence. They went to different okay. charismatic Bible schools. Right. So I was familiar with that. And so that's what this ended up being. So they were kind of the Southern charismatic, but having come from kind of like this hippie, whatever musician, he was like a rock musician. So they had a lot of pretty good music. <laughs> <laughs> and but they were charismatic, but still very conservative in, in a lot of ways. So they were all about peace and grace and love. And so that was, for me, kind of life-changing, that focus on you know, the love of God. I can imagine, especially in your early 20s, yeah. you know, encountering that uh, theology. Yeah, yeah. And then there was this weird mix of, he was also, he practiced um, acupuncture, but in the ear, what's that called again? 
auricular acupuncture or something for yeah, a treatment o- treatment for addictions and whatever. I've only ever heard it called acupuncture, and it just focuses on the ear. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he practiced different like Chinese medicine. So there was, and he did this. He did these. Um, I forget what they were called now, but these. It's, it was a form of meditation, and okay. he he oh he called it heart physics. Oh. And so he would you would tape he had different uh, sets that you could purchase, but we'd also practice it. And so there was kind of this weird Eastern mix with the charismatic, <laughs> with this kind of focus on the love of God and so on. And in the end, you know. There were all kinds of issues there. It was overly grandiose, you know, the big mission to the world, and we're going to still change the world. Right, and, right. But looking at it, it was just this tiny little group. There were, there were, I forget, I don't know now, 20 students there, like living right. in this old hotel. <laughs> and it was a legit hotel. It was an old hotel, yeah. yeah. So they had, that was where the dorm rooms were the yeah, rooms, and right. then they had, you know, their, the church room was, was like where we, we had room. yeah we had a couple of tables <laughs> set up where we had our school like our yeah. uh, but i mean it was it was a life-changing experience it was looking back it was a net good what, what was the biggest takeaway from that like at the time leaving the school like what what what, what had shifted within you i think i became firmly enough grounded in the love of god that it actually let me start questioning a lot of things okay okay and so that was, yeah, I was 20. I went back home to Seminole after that. And I can't even remember where, but at somehow at that, you know, shortly thereafter, I got this idea, like, I'm going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And I don't remember where that idea came from, because I was not a hiker in any sense of the word. Like, right. I had never overnight was like you're, you weren't an outdoorsy <laughs> kind of guy growing up. No, so yeah. we would come, we would go driving down to uh, the Guadalupe's here. Okay. From Seminole once in a while, do a little hike. Mm-hmm. But that was about it. And so I like, I went to a little outdoor supply store in Lubbock, Texas, bought a, <laughs> bought a backpack and some bunch of random gear. I read a book or two and the same buddy drove me to Georgia, dropped okay. me off. The, the buddy <laughs> that went to, to Bible school with yeah. me, yeah, and yeah, I started walking north on the Appalachian Trail. I was 21 at that time, and so while I was walking, I had my mom. I had a I had bought a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. So she was like mailing me books along the way. So it was at that time where I started reading a lot of books, which really stretched me at that point. Okay. Like books by. Uh, like Shane Claiborne and Brian yeah. McLaren and even other more, maybe more liberal ones, like John Spong and so on. And yeah, really led me to kind of question a lot of things, but I still feel like I would have been pretty well grounded in my faith as far as that goes, but what that meant was shifting, I guess. And then by the middle of the trail, by the middle of that summer, my buddy came to meet me, the same buddy, for a couple of days. We were, I was in Pennsylvania, and I had just read or was in the middle of reading Shane Claiborne's book. And so my buddy was like, let's go take a day or two and drive to Philly to check yeah. out the simple way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that time, of course, yeah, only 25% of the people who hike the trail finish it mm-hmm. for a multitude of reasons. But at that time, I would have, if I had a good excuse, I was ready to quit too. <laughs> So we were, were like, you were looking for your out. Yeah, already. I was looking, yeah. definitely looking for an out. And we were like, yeah, maybe if it's cool enough, we'll just stay. <laughs> we'll just hang out here. And 
the thing so you've was been, you've been to Kensington. So we just drove. We grabbed a map and drove to Philadelphia, and we like right. drove around the city. We finally bought a map of the city. We're not even looking for the neighborhood. So we found it. We're just like driving around yeah. randomly, and then we found the place, and it had just burned down like the week before. <laughs> They'd had a huge fire. Oh, that, that's yeah. great. I never so knew there was, that place burned down. Yeah, so there was nobody around. It was totally deserted. <laughs> and so it's like we drove around. We looked. <laughs> we drove right back. I got, yeah. I got back and started walking on the trail again. What year was that? Uh, 07? That's wild. Maybe, I mean, maybe I'm overstating it that it burned down, but it, it burned yeah. enough that it shut down. There yeah, was nobody yeah. around. Yeah. They definitely rebuilt it because I, I never, yeah. well, I don't Yeah, it's been rebuilt. It. Yeah. I, I would hang out. There was a... Um, some Franciscans just down the street, hmm. and I would go hang out with them from time to time when I lived in Philly. Hmm. Um, anyways, so you get you end up back on the trail. Yeah, ended up finishing the trail that year, and yeah, I think I at that point would have identified more with a lot of these same with. Which were still kind of, I mean, very much in the Christian fold, I guess, with of Brian McLaren and Shane right, Claiborne, right. and like. Yeah. Um, shortly thereafter is when I got in touch with my wife, Abby. She's also from Seminole, but we hadn't, we knew of each other. We might have met each other once or twice through, you know, kind of mutual friends. But because she had moved away to go to UTEP, she moved here to El Paso yeah. to go to UTEP. Yeah, and so we got in touch. Through Facebook, which was kind of a newish thing at the mm, time, I right. guess. And then, um, yeah, I mean, her parents were still there in town, so she would come to visit, and we started dating, and uh, yeah, I would drive up here to El Paso to visit her. We ended up, yeah, we ended up going on a road trip up the West Coast, getting engaged, and then getting married at the beginning of 2010. And that's, yes, I moved here to El Paso at that time. Okay. And she was interested in getting her master's degree. She had graduated and then was was working for a campus ministry at that time. And I was like, well, if you're going to get your master's degree, I'll... I'll go to EPCC and... Oh, because oh, you only, at that point, you only had your GED. I had my GED, okay. yeah. So I went to EPCC, took all the classes that I could, and then transferred to UTEP and... So was the Bible college, that was just strictly Bible? Yeah, it was nothing accredited yeah. in any way. I mean, yeah. I am, you know, I did receive some kind of uh, certificate of uh, ministry, so. We just hang that up on the wall. And yeah, I have you, it somewhere. And call you pastor. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And so, yeah, at that time. <clears throat> what did you end up majoring in? Sociology. Okay. The minor in psychology, yeah. Which I really enjoyed. That that was, a, I mean, really a life-changing experience as well, not just the fact of going to school, but, you know, studying sociology mm -hmm. and, you know, social problems and, and just, yeah, having some uh, influence, I guess, other than strictly Christian influence yeah, in my yeah, life. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting how, uh, not useful, that's kind of the wrong word, but, uh, you know, coming at coming at life from those different perspectives, right? The yeah. Christi Christianity perspective, you know, the studies within sociology, psychology, um, how, how uh, useful they can be just, just in connecting with people. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, so that was great. And um, we had gone for a, some some reason. We had attended a few services at the uh, Unitarian Universalist Church okay. at the time. That was towards the towards the end of the educational experience, I think. And um, so at some point, anyways, we heard like, oh, well, these two guys from this community were going to be speaking there okay, on a yeah. Sunday morning. Like, well, because at that time we were still, oh, this idea of community was always kind of attractive to us. It's like, huh, never heard of it. Like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. So we went to listen to to these guys and yeah, it was ended up being David and Jacob who were there talking about this place, the Desert Rain. It's like, huh, fascinating. And I believe it was at that time that we visited a few times on Sundays. Actually came out to yeah. Chaparral. And I yeah. want to say that was 2014. Yeah, I think that's what Abby mentioned in her story. And it got me thinking, because I, I must have just missed you all. Yeah. Because I left sometime in 20, well, it was April specifically. I left yeah. the area in April of 2014. When you... I went to Philly. So okay. I, I, okay, yeah, then we would have just probably passed each other. Yeah, so I I guess we were just... Actually, I was just talking about this with David and Marsha this week. Either the end of... Thir- no, the end of 12 or the beginning of 13 is when I first met them. So it's possible that we might have even seen you. Who knows? Yeah. But I don't remember meeting no, you I, before. Yeah. So yeah. it's possible that we missed each other. But anyways, yeah, so we had already planned, we were both going to, we were going to graduate, and then, like, we weren't ready to settle down, we didn't really know what we wanted to do, so we basically got rid of whatever we happened to have in our little apartment, and we loaded up our car, and then we drove to Virginia, where some friends from El Paso are part owners of a farm with some of their own, with their family members. Oh, in the cool. in the kind of the Blue Ridge Mountains there. Okay. There's a little grass pasture based meat farm. Yeah, yeah. So we we went up there, we we worked on the farm there for the season, whatever it was, five or six months over the summer and fall. And then we um let's see, we went back to Seminole for a bit, we worked saved up some money, and then in 2015, we hiked the Appalachian Trail again together, the two of us. All the way again? All the way again, yeah, yeah Georgia to Maine. That's wild. Um, How long does that take? It took us about six months, five and a half months, yeah. I guess. Both times? Yeah, it was that? very similar. Yeah. yeah, very similar time time frame on both of those. We were, I mean, not fast. You can do it faster than that. Right, of course. But, of course um, yeah. Or slower, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> that's, that's about average. Cool. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah, that was, that was a great experience. We still weren't ready. Like, like we, we, people always think like, oh, you're going to go hiking and you have six months to like decide on all your big life decisions and have a life plan. And uh, we still (laughs) didn't have it yet figured out. So then we stopped back on the farm in Virginia after that, worked some more. Let's see, 2016, we went to Central America. We traveled through Central America for about 10 months. Well, a big chunk of that was teaching English okay. at, a, at a school in Honduras in the little mountain village. So that was kind of, that was, again, great, great experience. How many different places did you go to 
while you were in Central America. Did you and did you teach at multiple places or? Um. Well, we so we first went to Guatemala. We went to a Spanish school for six weeks to learn. I mean, my wife minored in Spanish, so she speaks Spanish pretty well. So we went to the Spanish school in Guatemala. Yeah. From there, we traveled down to Honduras to teach English at a, for a semester at a school. So we were there for a good length of time. And then we kind of traveled around, just traveled by bus. Just, yeah, just more, more touristy than anything yeah. else. Yeah. And then by the time we got down to Panama, from there we flew to Cali, Colombia to teach English at a little... Um, English cafe, I guess, for adults for, I want to say it was five weeks, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and then we and we came back. How did that, so living, or, you know, traveling through Central America, sort of on this, uh, in and around, like, your spiritual life, how did that impact, because I know for me, going to different places just impacts the way I see the world in general, but definitely my spiritual life. Well, how, you know, what, what kind of shook hmm. within your spiritual life doing those 10 months in Central America? It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know how I would explain it very well. Um, to some degree, it was, it was just great not to be spiritually focused. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So I felt, I really feel like there in those years... Yeah, I would read, we would read like Christian material or spiritual material um, as far as that goes. But it just really, it wasn't a focus in life at the time. Center. Yeah, right. which was really different than my life had ever been before. And in some ways it was really freeing. Especially if you're coming from, for some people this idea of community is really kind of radical. But coming especially from in, especially in America, yeah, yeah. But coming cool. from my background in this little Mennonite community, there were aspects of that, oh. but there were also like these really negative aspects of. It might be the same as small town anywhere, but specifically in this kind of Mennonite small town where everybody knows everything, mm -hmm. but everybody, right. it's all very observed. And being the pastor's kid, you know, everybody. Keeping an extra yeah, eye. Yeah, extra eye on you and judging yeah. everybody. Not just you, but your family based uh -huh. on what you do yeah, so on and so forth. So there was a great amount of freedom from that just to be <laughs> somewhere else completely. <laughs> was that similar to like on the Appalachian tra Trail, having that, that sense of freedom? Yeah, although at that time, like I started at the beginning of April. It was shortly thereafter. It was Easter Sunday, and the sky that I just – encountered on the trail that I hiked with for quite a while at the beginning. He was like, oh, you're a pastor's kid. You should, you should lead us in, a, in an Easter service. <laughs> like, like, that's uh, not what I'm out here to do, man. <laughs> but at the time, I was still very happy to do that. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like on the, on the Appalachian Trail, you, you, you have a trail name. Right. That you, and that. people, you just go by some other random moniker or whatever it happens to be. But at the beginning, I wanted to choose my own name, I forget what, if something about mystic, there's something mystic, I, I forget what it was, it didn't, it didn't work out after all, but, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, uh, but yeah, it was over those years of traveling, and then, I mean, we went back to work on the farm again after that. 
when you came back from Central when you came America. back from Central America right. and and the family that we were with were also like ex they were missionary kids okay. growing up but they were not religious at all anymore and they've so, kind of abandoned that part yeah, of their life yeah yeah and again I think it was that was healthful healthy it was interesting it was different yeah and yeah at some point, I guess we kind of felt like, okay, what, what do we want to do? Like, if we're going to have a kids or a family, we want to do that at some point <laughs> pretty yeah. soon. <laughs> we're getting older. So that's when we decided, well, I mean, we could just go to some random city and start over from nothing. And, mm -hmm. yeah, but try to make those connections. Yeah. And community. But and we had both enjoyed living in El Paso, enjoyed being on the border, dealing with like, um, kind of border issues and migration and and so on and so forth. So we decided to come back to El Paso. And almost immediately, yeah, I think came back to visit Desert Rain. Yeah, I seem to remember remember shortly after you got back, you all coming here, whether it was for a Thursday meal or a Sunday service, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know if we ever made it for a Thursday meal, but I think we came back for Sunday services for a bit, and yeah, and then COVID happened, and so since we've been back, it's been kind of an odd, <laughs> right. an odd yeah. Because you got experience. back at the end of nineteen. Yeah, end of twenty nineteen. So, so yeah, just... March was locked out. <laughs> yep. Yep. But yeah, we've I mean stayed in touch with us right on. Zoom, yeah, like everybody yeah. else, I guess. Yeah, you've definitely stayed close but. to the to the community, and I'm so I'm interested to know. So, so kind of, how do you see uh, your spiritual life today? You know, and and sort of, uh, I guess, the contrast of of the more uh, conservative Christianity that you grew up around. I do think that I've I've come back around to maybe seeing the value of of practices. Okay. Not to say that I am a good practicer or that I even have specific practices necessarily, but I can start seeing the value of that again. I mean, we've always been very interested in justice and and social justice and the things um, people-focused, active service, love, yeah. I guess you could say. And I'm, so I'm interested in that. When did that click for you, that sort of social justice, you know, helping, helping those around you in a, a service-type way, right? Yeah, so that, I think, became much more clear to me at the time, yeah, in my late, in my earlier 20s, um, through, you know, books by Shane Claiborne, for example, okay, and okay, so on yeah. and so on. So there was he more of an influence of more of a liberal, a liberal Christianity, I guess you'd say. Right. For Shane, it's not liberal Christianity. It's more uh, taking, you know, the red letter Christianity, teaching the, you know, taking the actual teachings of Jesus and words of Jesus, literally. Mm -hmm. um, where, where faith is more about action than it is about a set of beliefs, I guess. Um, so we've always, that's always been important to us, I guess I would say. And I'm beginning to see more and more again the value of 
practices, more of a discipline practices, I guess, as far as whatever that form that would take, whether that's reading, meditating, praying. Um, now that we've had our first child as well, I guess I'm <laughs> trying to think through and reevaluate all that too. And I'm yeah. sure over the next few years, that'll become very, yeah, again, yeah, important, uh, a focus. Like, well, how do you, for me, that's still a big mystery. How do you raise a kid with, with these with values if you don't kind of believe in a very kind of black and white concrete good and evil necessarily or a very clarified and yeah this is god and this is what god teaches and this is why we do what we do and And this is this is not god yeah we don't do those things yeah or there's very a clarified evil you know Mm. So that's going to be interesting over the next few years, I guess. Because you grew up with that very black and white. Yeah, it was very black and white. Mentality. When, when do you think you, uh, like through your adulthood, when did those, when did the gray area, I guess, sort of come, come to light for you on, uh, you know, just, I guess maybe being able to live with it within that, you know what I mean? Maybe yeah. not even comfortably, right? Like sometimes those things can be uncomfortable. Yeah. I think those authors that I've mentioned that experience at, at the impact international school of ministry mm-hmm. helped this. So this focus on, on the love of God, it was shortly thereafter where I really began to question like the theologies of the afterlife, specifically of hell mm. And I remember very specifically at some point it became very clear to me that like one of two things is true. Either I believe in hell um, and and I'm just okay with letting most of the world go there, most of the people in the world. If, If you believe hell to be a physical reality and you don't spend every waking minute of your life dragging people out of hell <laughs> then you hate people <laughs> yeah yeah no i uh I, it's, or, it's, yeah. i've had that same sort of i guess thought experiment of like these or not these people that believe that hell is is real and they spend i guess you can't spend every waking hour but they try to spend every waking hour evangelizing hmm. it's like i I can respect someone like that yeah. because they're, you know, like you're saying, they're in their mind or in their uh, context of belief, they're saving people yeah. from this physical place. Where someone that believes in hell but kind of lacks a daisical, like, man, yeah, exactly, you, yeah, that <laughs> have fun there. And it's like, well, that you know, it's like, what do you really believe? Like, do you really believe you're saving people from that context? So it's interesting. Yes, yeah, so I became convinced that. Probably most people actually don't believe it. I mean, it's a thing that we say we believe to, right, right. to you know, just as a social way of fitting in. That's one of the, one of the standard beliefs you have to say you believe. Because I really was like, I don't want to see myself as that bad of a person, <laughs> and I don't want to see everybody that I know as that bad, you yeah. know, as people that are that, you know, that bad. Anyway, so I think for me personally, and maybe for others, I don't know, that was just a huge shift, maybe psychologically, where it's like, huh. If that weight 
of fear of this like eternal damnation is gone, well then, and, and I'm also believing at the same time in this more loving God, well then I can question things and think through things and be okay with not having the exactly correct answers, right? Yeah. I mean, if there's a real hell and the thing that's sending you there or keeping you from going there is like this correct mental state of mind, like ah, these beliefs, of these very specific yeah. beliefs are what's keeping you out of hell. Well, right. then you, of course, can't question those beliefs, obviously. Well, it takes away from what you learned in the Bible college of this idea of grace yeah. and this idea of love. Yeah. Like if there's some, some thing sending you to hell, but also it's supposed to have infinite grace yeah. or unconditional love. It's like, well, how do you, you know, you would have to start questioning that yeah. to stay intellectually uh, honest, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that became... The, the mental gymnastics, I think, mm. became more apparent to me that people jump through right. on a continuous basis that I would always jump through again, yeah. And... Yeah, I I can't exp I don't know exactly how or when if there was a specific time, but I think it was it was a process of becoming okay with with those things. Maybe it was partly also just growing up, and it's like right. maybe everybody's extreme as a as a teenager. I don't know. Yeah. Or more extreme, like. I mean, that was my case for sure. I was yeah. very extreme as a teenager. And so maybe it was just growing up. But that was part of it too, and then yeah, the influence of different authors and different life experiences, like being on the Appalachian Trail and realizing, like, huh, these are all really, really good people out here, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> very few people would consider themselves Christians. Yeah. Like nobody tried to. That's not true. There were a couple of like trail missionaries that I met that that's were like professional hiking missionaries. Interesting. <laughs> but but in generally, uh, it was a bunch of hard partying <laughs> <laughs> people who were really good. Yeah, good, they good people yeah really cool yeah and i bet down in central america too you yeah, yeah just yeah. encountering new people and different yeah. perspectives yeah yeah exactly exactly right so it was just a, a probably a gradual change over time but and i still don't know that i would say that i have more answers on any of those questions and yeah. maybe that's fine yeah that's been my evolution i think of looking it sort of started off, I think, is looking for the quote-unquote right answer and then realizing, like, oh, that, you're not, what you're going to get is more questions. Yeah. And uh, I think for me, the way I look at it, too, as well, is the questions become more interesting to myself. So at some point in my life, I think the heaven and hell thing was an interesting question to me. Yeah. Whereas today, it's evolved into, it's like, well... Yeah, I don't. What What am I doing in this moment? Like, right. heaven and hell may exist, but to talk about it is not. It's it's frankly boring at this point, right? Yeah. Like, but it's, <laughs> at some point it was like, no, we need to figure this out. And am I going? You yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, well, and a actually, it's funny because Abby and I talked about this on her episode. Was there's people experiencing hell on Earth? Yeah, you know. And so, is there anything I can do? To, to lighten that load a little in some in some way, um, even if it's not necessarily in a big way, right? You know, and, and what does that look like? You know, today, you know, April second, twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 
in what way are we are are we the Christ, you know? Yeah. And is my neighbor who's also suffering also the Christ? Uh, yeah, just it's And so to um I guess just to sort of wrap wrap this up, um, you know, we, we talked about earlier that so, sort of social justice is has become an important part of your life and, and uh so what what does that look like today? Like what what how do you engage with with uh the community to sort of uh, allow it to unfold however it does? Yeah, and again I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily content or happy where I am even in that area in my life at the moment. Like part of that's again coming back to El Paso, we were like, okay, we're gonna really you know develop these kinds of things in our lives yeah. and and then i mean i'm gonna say it was covid and that was part of it and part of it's just been you know starting you know quote unquote like normal life we bought a house the thing that you know over all the years we're like eh, i don't know yeah, right <laughs> uh and it does have real like i mean kind of monetary and time constraints and whatever like oh i gotta do this on my house and then we i mean we had our our daughter was born last fall so i mean those are all probably excuses so i I don't i need to get that i need to figure out how what that looks like what that's going to look like um yeah we're we're still in touch with a with a few folks that we know the last thing that we did on our central america trip was on our way back we stopped in Mexico and we were for worked for a month at a shelter for migrants from Central America who were oh, in wow. Mexico of course on their way to the states right 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 of course and how long were you at that shelter about a month wow. yeah we were just kind of volunteering and it was it's one of the better known i mean the the priest who kind of started it and i guess he doesn't really run it but he's kind of a he's known he speaks and travels and um so there's there's two guys that we got to know, two kids, two young dudes. I guess one of them is closer to my age, maybe, but we, we have kept in touch with. They both actually ended up staying in Mexico, getting um, a refugee or humanitarian visa in Mexico, more or less. And where were they from originally? Uh, one from Honduras and one from Guatemala. Yeah. yeah, so we are in touch. We, I mean, we I mean, financially support them to some degree on right. and off. Um, I mean, my wife works, she's working as her job at a, at a downtown, um, kind of organization here in downtown El Paso that serves kids and families in the local neighborhood with all kinds of like after school programs and programs for the, for older folks and a food distribution system and so on and so forth. That's something that I would like to get more involved in again as a volunteer. We volunteered there in the past. Right. When we originally lived in El Paso. Well, it's one of those things, too, I think, kind of going back to what you said, like, especially having a, a child. Yeah. Like, well, so for us, that's going to be something that we really want to figure out is, like, how can we live this life with a kid? Right. Not only, I mean, for our sakes, but also for the kid's sake. Like, how do we, how do we create that kind of a life? Yeah. One of the... I guess a fully integrated. Yeah. How do we not create just a kind of run of the mill 
suburban American life. Which is easy to do because everyone else around you is doing it. Yeah, I so mean, I mean in the end, society is set up to make that possible, right? No, yeah. I mean, it's about school and sports and after-school activities and, yeah. and a two-week vacation somewhere yeah. during the summer. And, and back, back into the cycle of it. Yeah, yeah. And not, not to say that any of that is evil necessarily, bad, but how do you, you know, what, what options are there? What does that life look like? Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you on that. It's not, it's not bad. You know, for some people that, that is a contented life. Yep. You know, and, and, but it's like, uh, you know, for me personally, it's like the average suburban life is not attractive to me. And it's just so, okay, so how do I navigate this thing called society or this thing called life? And, and you know, because I do, I, you know, I'm an extrovert. I like people and, and you know, even this, this, having, sitting down yeah. with, with uh, having conversations with people. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time because there are options, right? And there is a way to live a more integrated or um, inspired life might be but an authentic life. Yeah. And that means a little bit, something different to each person. Yeah, and it probably will change and evolve. Yeah. And as, you know, as I grow or as we grow, as everybody grows, I think they're, that, what that means probably changes over yeah. time. So yeah, I, I, maybe, maybe it'll be important to figure out a way, a practice of, of letting that change happen but also kind of directing it where, I mean, it's easy to just get, you know, like you're in the flow of things. It's just how, you know, you're busy day in, day out, and you never have the time to be reflective and decide like, huh, maybe this, <laughs> maybe this normal flow of things could be different. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was easy to do when we were traveling for those years yeah. where it was like, you know, I'm only doing this thing for the next three months or five months. And then life is going to be completely different after that. So I don't have to worry you know, about getting stuck in something. And there was also, I mean, challenges and difficulties with that because, you, I mean, we just didn't develop deep relationships mm -hmm. if you're just kind of on the move. Right. Um, yeah, because there's something beautiful. Well, so, you know, once again, Abby and I talked about that, but your experience with Appalachian Trail Sounds very similar to my experience with the Camino de Santiago. Yeah, yeah. You know, you wake up in the morning, you know, you know what you're doing. Yeah, you're walking. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to the next. You know, you're traveling X number of kilometers. You know, you're gonna eat during the day, and you'll hit some place. Yeah, sleep and and do it all over. And and you know, for you it was several months. You know, in my my case it was you know it was about a month time frame. Mm -hmm. It's like after a month, it's gonna be totally different. You know, and and. Um, so yeah, there's something about being in the flow of life, whether it's you're walking every day or you're, you know, you're doing the, the nine to five, you got the house and, and what, what not. And, and, uh, yeah. Cool, man. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. It's been fun. <laughs> um, once again, Jonathan Clausen, uh, from, well, from all over <laughs> Canada, Seminole. And uh, now a resident of El Paso and a, a member here at uh, Desert Rain Community. And uh, thank, you, thank you everyone for listening. Have and thank you, Dorian, for setting this up and doing this. Appreciate it.